Good morning. The title of this morning's message is Grace Says Done. Faith Says Now. This morning, I want to continue to talk to you about the way our brain and our heart work together and how we can purposely set our minds on the truths of God's Word so that our heart can be fully persuaded. The last time I ministered, we looked at the truth that we can know the truth of God's heart in our head, but our heart, the place where we have deep beliefs, can still not be fully persuaded. Oh, we looked at Romans 14, verse 5, that said this, One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. And Jewish thought, your mind was your mind, your will, and your emotions. It was what we call the soul. You need to be fully persuaded in your own mind. The word fully persuaded in the Greek, in the Strong's, it means fully persuaded. Play rough or reo. <laughs> it means to carry out fully in evidence. That is completely assured or completely convinced. Or it can be also used to be entirely accomplished. Most surely believe, fully know, be persuaded, make full proof of. The point I want you to see here is fully being fully persuaded means we have some kind of evidence. Our heart wants evidence. <laughs> Our heart doesn't just believe what we tell it. It wants evidence. I like this definition because it specifically points us to looking for evidence that proves that what we believe is actually true. Evidence includes written facts and or personal testimony that provides light as to what is actually true. Our minds and hearts like evidence, and of course our primary source of evidence is God's written word. But it also includes the witness of the Holy Spirit. The written word of God first goes into our mind, and then as we meditate on those truths that we find in God's word, the Holy Spirit is the one who validates that truth in our heart. So we don't just believe because we hear it. It is something that we actually have to process. And when the Holy Spirit confirms his word, when the Holy Spirit testifies to you that you are a child of God, we know what it is to have that inner witness that I know I know, but don't ask me to explain it. Because <laughs> it's something that the Holy Spirit does in us. In Jewish thought, the mind includes both feelings and thoughts. So Paul tells the believers in Rome that each believer needs to be convinced in their own heart regarding how they feel about Sabbath keeping or keeping the dietary laws. As Jews, that was part of their identity. But in the New Covenant, it's no longer a requirement to be pleasing to God. But it doesn't mean they had to stop doing it. They just had to look at it differently. <laughs> it no longer earned them something. It was something they could honor God with, but it didn't earn something. So he was trying to tell them, if you feel bad not keeping the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath. <laughs> if you feel bad when you eat bacon, don't eat bacon. Okay. He makes the point that we should not go against our conscience. Okay, our conscience is that little Pharisee that lives in the side of our head. <laughs> that our conscience has to do with what we've been taught is right and wrong. Our conscience can be wrong. That's his point. If your conscience is bothering you, 
okay? Because it was no longer a sin to eat bacon, but they still felt guilty. So he says, until your heart is fully persuaded, until the Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit that it is okay to eat bacon, don't do it. Don't do it. It, You still need to grow in your understanding that I'm not violating God's will for my life. So that is the difference between maturity and believers. Some believers can have a glass of wine. This believer cannot. (laughs) Okay, that is the difference of what God calls certain people to certain ways of life. He knows. Okay, so it's a matter of what is your heart fully convinced of? In Romans 14.22, it says, The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason, and I really like this, to pass judgment on himself. That's the guilty conscience. That's what our guilty conscience does. It passes sentence on us and tells us we have violated God's law. We have violated our heart. (laughs) That's what the conscience does. It says, you were taught this was wrong, but now God says you're able to participate in that. It's not sin. He never says sin is a good idea. Not ever. (laughs) Okay. But what happens is we pass a sentence against ourselves when we don't live up to a standard that we have applied to our own life. Verse 23. But whosoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. God doesn't condemn us. We condemn ourselves. That's what Christians fall into all the time when they stumble and fall. A lot of times it's like the Holy Spirit is convicting me. I know what they're meaning, okay? The Holy Spirit is speaking to you about something. I want you to make some changes. We need to maybe work on your health or work on your finances or work on something. Say, I want to lead you into all truth. In other words, when we feel condemned, it is us recognizing that we, in our own estimation, have fallen short of God's perfect plan for our lives. By first being fully convinced of what the grace of God through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection has actually, in reality, fully accomplished. We need to be certain of what is actually done. (laughs) We need to know in our heart what is and is not fully and completely true. We need to be fully persuaded that God's grace alone has already fully supplied our complete salvation as a gift, not as a work in progress, (laughs) not as something that we can add our works to, but simply as a completed and divinely provided gift. In God's economy, his grace says, done. I've done everything that needs to be done for you to be saved, all by grace, all by gift, just because I love you. It's free for the taking. Now all we have to do is believe that it is done. (laughs) Now you would think that would be easy, that sometimes that's not easy for us when we say, I am taking what has been fully provided for me. So grace always says, God's absolutely free loving kindness always says it's done. So that our faith can say, now, Now is the day of salvation. Now I'm healed. Now I'm holy. Now I'm righteous. Because God says done, we can say now. (laughs) Our brains and our hearts believe more easily 
or receive the truth more easily that what we know is already done. Our brain likes past tense words like finished and done. Our brains initially process a word like finished as being real because if something is finished, it exists right now. But when we use future tense words like I'm going to lose weight, basically our brain files that thought under fiction <laughs> because the future tense implies that it isn't truth. It doesn't exist yet. It isn't actually real to us. And there's probably no definite plan to make our wish a reality. <laughs> we would be better off to say, I am losing weight because I am making changes. Our brains, according to neuroscientists, prefer for us to use present tense and past tense words in order to convince our hearts. Scientists are studying the way the brain works and the brain and the heart. Scientists are trying to figure out how to help people, <laughs> you know, get over guilt and condemnation, apart from Jesus. <laughs> but if they knew Jesus, they would still need to know the truth of what is already done. So that's why it's important for us to be able to say, I am saved, past tense based on the truth of God's Word and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit verifies. He gives us evidence that when I say, I am saved, He bears witness that that is true. So we have the Holy Spirit that bears witness with our spirit about what is and is not true. In Romans 8, beginning with verse 15, it says this, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the Spirit himself beareth witness, which means to give testimony or witness to what is actually true. The Holy Spirit testifies to us what is true with our spirit, that we right now are children of God. In other words, the Holy Spirit proves to us that we are in fact, in truth, in reality, right now, a child of God. Because grace says done. The Holy Spirit tells us done so that we by faith can say now. Years ago, I had received Christ at the age of 10 watching Billy Graham on TV, but I was not churched. <laughs> I didn't grow up in church. We became Catholic for a while. That was pretty much like not going to church because <laughs> I didn't learn anything. <laughs> I didn't know nothing about Jesus. We certainly never heard about the Holy Spirit. But my brother, who had received Christ, said, the Holy Spirit will bear witness with you. You know, So we kept trying to get me saved. I'm waiting for something to feel different. And I would pray the prayer again, and I would pray the prayer again. I would pray with different people. I don't know how to get saved. I keep trying. And my brother said, the Holy Spirit will bear witness. Oh, what's that supposed to mean? <laughs> he said, well, just ask God to confirm it to you that you are already saved. So for two weeks, I'm, I am saved. I am saved. In the name of Jesus, I am saved. I am saved. I am saved. After about two weeks of this, I go, you are not saying anything. Am I saved or not? <laughs> there was no quote-unquote experience. So I was like, I don't get it. What do I got to do to get saved? I was having lunch with my parents, and back then they were not saved. <laughs> and their language 
It was very colorful. All of a sudden, one of them took the Lord's name in vain. And all of a sudden, it felt like somebody slapped me in the face. And I went, oh, you're in there. <laughs> oh, oh, that's what it feels like? Oh. <laughs> he bore witness to me in a way that I could understand that he was really living inside of me. That when people take his name in vain, it very much is offensive to him because he loves those people and he wants them to know him. So the Holy Spirit loves to bear witness with our spirit. We can also see the importance of the present tense and the past tense in 1 John 3, verses 1 and 2. According to scientists, our brains don't like it when we speak in future tense. Okay? Because our brain says, whatever it is you're saying, whatever it is you're projecting into the future, it's not real. It's all imaginary. Now, that's true, isn't it? <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. Okay, so scientists have proven that the way our brain works, our brain wants us to use present tense or past tense. 1 John 3, 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed. Does God love me? Hath bestowed <laughs> upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now... We are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We are right now sons of God, children of God. Most believers don't know what that means. Okay, Jesus was the prototype, <laughs> the son of God. <laughs> what is our life supposed to look like? the Son of God. <laughs> we are sons of God, given the same Holy Spirit that Jesus had, so that we can walk as sons of God, ruling and reigning on the earth. Grace says, done. I've given you everything you need. I've given you my spirit. I've given you new life. I've given you a new heart. It's all done. I have bestowed. <laughs> you have what I said you have. It's yours. It's past tense. And our heart goes, yeah, I can get him on board with hath bestowed. I have it. He has given it to me. I am already adopted. I am already a son of God now. Not when I get to heaven. Now. As believers, God wants us to know the truth as revealed in his word and to believe that it applies to us now, <laughs> not in the future when we go to heaven, but now, now we are sons of God, and now we are meant to rule and reign in life through the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5:17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by the one, Jesus Christ. This reigning in life and Jesus' life reigning in us is a now reality, not just a future one. Sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our heads around the now realities of the new covenant. The now realities are based on this already accomplished and finished work of the cross. It is realizing just how done our salvation is that enables us to truly believe in the now realities of the new covenant. 
which also enables us to stop pushing our blessings and answers to prayer into the future, where we don't really believe them. <laughs> Years ago, I discovered that the Hebrew language does not actually have a future tense in their language. Even to this day, they don't use a future tense word. When scholars translate the Old Testament, they update it so that it makes more sense to us. But when God speaks in the Old Covenant, it is in the present or in the past tense. God never speaks in future tense, even when he's referring to the future. Some scholars say that is because whatever God says is as good as done. <laughs> even if it's in the future, he uses past tense. He's outside of time. And when he says this is done, it's just as done here as it is there. To him, it's exactly the same. So when God spoke, it was understood that whatever he said in reference to the future was supposed to be considered as good as done. I want you to see a passage of scripture in both the Young's literal translation, which uses the actual tenses that the scripture is written in, and the King James Version, which is updated. I'm going to use Genesis 9, verses 12 through 16. God is speaking in this passage about the rainbow as his sign of an unbreakable covenant. Verse 12 in King James. And God said, past tense, This is the token of the covenant which I make between you and me and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. Same verse in the literal translation. And God saith, present tense, This is a token of the covenant which I am giving between me and you and every living creature that is with you to generations age during. This means perpetually. Again, the Young's literal puts God speaking in the present. Verse 13, King James, I do set my bow, my rainbow, in the cloud, and it shall be a token for a covenant between me and the earth. Present and future tense. In the literal, my bow, my rainbow, I have given in the cloud, and it hath been for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. Past tense. When God says it, it is as good as done. Verse 14, King James puts it in the future and present tense. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow, the rainbow, shall be seen in the cloud. 14 in the literal. And it hath come to pass in my sending the cloud over the earth that the rainbow hath been seen in the cloud. As good as done. 15. King James, the future tense. I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of the flesh, and the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. Future tense. Literal, I have remembered my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature among all flesh, and the waters become no more a deluge to destroy all flesh. I have remembered. It's as good as done. 16. And the bow, the rainbow, shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, and I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. Future tense. But how did God really say it? <laughs> the rainbow hath been in the cloud, and I have seen it, to remember the covenant age during between God and every living creature among all flesh which is on the earth. When God says something, it's as good as done. 
it is interesting that God would not let his people think in future tense. He says, no, I want you to know what I tell you, it is good as done. You can bank on it. It's real now. Because in God's sight, it's already done. He just steps out and says, look, it's right there. <laughs> it's already done. It is as good as done. And that's how he wants us to think in terms of the present. Because it's done, I have it now. He wants us to believe that our salvation is completely, completely finished. And because that covenant includes everything I need for life and godliness, I can say, look, it's done, so I can have it now. Because when God says it's done, it is. So the Jews, they never even spoke to each other in a future tense. They always spoke in past and present tense. According to a recent neuroscientist and their research, our brains and hearts also prefer either now or done tenses. Our subconscious brain prefers simple present tense sentence like, I am turning over a new leaf. I am healed. I am saved. And I am prospering. Our subconscious is particularly sensitive to the I am statement which is why we need to be careful not to add negative contractions to simple sentences. The scientists say that our subconscious, which is really where our heart is, has a tendency to ignore words like don't. Our subconscious doesn't like the word no. <laughs> That's why all the promises are yes and amen. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so what the scientists say is when we tell ourselves don't cry, don't curse. Don't be mad. Our subconscious says, don't is not real, so I'm going to help you cry more. I'm going to help you curse more. <laughs> I'm going to help you be mad more. That's just the way our brains filter things. Our subconscious brain says, we are ignoring the nose. Now, you, you'll think of that in terms of the old covenant. Their brains didn't like, thou shalt not. <laughs> That's why they always were. <laughs> what happens is our subconscious will concentrate on the doing part of our statement and will try to assist us to help us do what it thinks we're saying. Since it says no is not real, because we don't like it, and I'm saying don't cry, don't cry, my subconscious says, oh, she wants to cry more. <laughs> That's why the I am statements that we make are so important. They are at the core of our beliefs. And we can change the way we see ourselves with our I am statements. And when you begin to take notice of how much we put and push into the future and how much negative <laughs> speaking comes out of our mouth. It's no wonder that God says, you need to know it's done so that you can believe it's now because it exists and it's real right now. So if I'm starting to cry and I don't like it, what do I do? I can't say, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. <laughs> That's not going to help me. <laughs> but I can say, I am in control of my emotions. I am calming myself down. I am strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Our brains prefer positive present tense sentences. And these kinds of statements enable our brain to work with us 
instead of against us. And so our brains prefer these present tense, but our hearts, the place of deep belief, prefers the past tense that we can bring in to now. And of course, this makes perfect sense when we realize that the new covenant is based on a finished work. Our relationship with God is all about what Jesus has already accomplished for us, in us, and as us, all because of God's great love for us. The Old Testament believers heard everything God said as being presently real or completely accomplished and currently real, even if they had to wait for the manifestation of what he said. And of course, this completely agrees with what Jesus taught. Therefore, I say unto you that everything, everything, everything that ye ask for, praying, believe that ye receive it when? Now. (laughs) And it shall come upon you. Jesus said it was very important for us to realize that we're not supposed to put our answers in the future. Even then, he hadn't gone to the cross, but it was the same principle how God spoke to them in the Old Testament. I want you to know that whatever I say is done is in fact done. You can bank on it. It's going to pop up and show up because it's done. So Jesus tells us to believe that the answer to our prayer is both done and now. We can see the same truth in 1 John 5, 14 and 15. The Apostle John is speaking about relationship with God the Father through Jesus the Son. In verse 14 it says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we ask of him. How easy is that to not believe? No. Are you working on it, God? (laughs) I know I asked, but I don't see it yet. It's so easy for us to consult the natural realm to see if God is done. (laughs) God is already done. (laughs) Whatever it is, he says, you have it. It's granted. All you got to do is believe that you actually possess it. You have the receipt. You've got it. It's yours. All you got to do is believe that it's yours. And look around because it's there. It's there. He says it's done so that we can say it's done now. Again, we are encouraged to believe that grace has said done. And faith says now. Grace has put everything into the present tense through the finished work of the cross. And faith brings the reality of what is already done into the present tense by believing that it really is now. So technically, we could say the answers to our prayers are in two places at once, in the present and in the past. But can something actually be in two places at once? Can we be in two places at once? Recently, while I've been looking into what science says about belief, I've come across some scientific experiments that just may help us to accept the past tense realities of the cross as present tense realities in our life. Our heart, the place of deep belief, is always looking for evidence or proof of what we accept is true. So I hope to bring what may seem like a fuzzy picture of truth into a much clearer picture of what is already true because of Jesus.
Now, science overall does not acknowledge the reality of God, but the science of quantum physics really does point to the reality of a superintelligence. Nowadays, of course, it is not politically correct to use the word God in scientific circles. And so many have resorted to referring to this superintelligence as the universe, quote unquote. <laughs> the universe has or reveals intelligence, which of course is actually true because it works according to the laws of God. And scientists who are true to the science know that everything really does point to an overarching intelligence in this world. They don't want to call it God, <laughs> but they know it's there. So they call it the universe. The universe has wisdom. The universe has preferences. They know scientifically that there are two atmospheres. One is called love and one is called fear. And the quote unquote universe prefers everything to live in an atmosphere of love. Because if we live in an atmosphere of love, we grow, we flourish, <laughs> everything works the way it's supposed to work. If we live in an atmosphere of fear, everything decays and dies. And what does cast out the spirit of fear? <laughs> Perfect love. When you listen to scientists, you think, you know Jesus? Because all you got to do is insert Jesus into half of what you're saying. It's scripture. Science is bearing out the truths that we already know. And they're all surprised. <laughs> so we, of course, know that the intelligence is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One of the things I learned about recently is the theory of quantum entanglement. In simple terms, it describes the connection between photons. Photons are light particles that act like waves in a pond. The ripple in the water produced by throwing a stone in it is very much like the light waves produced by photons. I have the definition of quantum entanglement for you, just so you know a little bit of what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> quantum entanglement is a physical phenomenon that occurs when pairs or groups of particles are generated, interact, and share spatial proximity in ways such as the quantum state of each particle cannot be described independently of the state of the others, even when the particles are separated by a large distance of either time or distance. What does that mean? <laughs> well, it means that when two light particles are connected through relationship, what are we made of? We are made of light. Jesus is the light. Scientists know that our cells are actually full of light. They thought the cells were big empty spaces. Turns out they're not. <laughs> they're full of light. So we have two photons, two light particles that are connected in a relationship. And what they have found is that you can separate those two particles of light. And whatever happens to one, no matter the distance, automatically happens to the other. <laughs> automatically. Also, scientists have done experiments where they have pushed a photon into the future, which simply means they pushed it at a speed greater than the speed of light. Now, I don't know how they see this. They just know mathematically it's true that they can push a light particle into the future. And whatever happens to that thing in the future happens in the past. <laughs> 
We look at that and go, that don't make no sense until you look at the scripture. You might be thinking, what does this have to do with me and believing the truth of God's word in my heart? Well, the truth is God asks us to believe because of our connection and relationship with Jesus, who is, by the way, light and life, that we are currently, right now, in reality, in two places at once, just like the photon in the experiment. According to the most recent science, that means that Jesus could die on the cross in the past, but we who are now in the future of when that physically happened could, scientifically speaking, physically be inserted into his death in the past in actuality, here and now. Whatever happens in the future actually automatically affects the past. In reality, this isn't just a theory. They know that this process actually takes place. Now, for most of us, the concepts of scripture are usually a little fuzzy. <laughs> and I like this because it explains how Jesus can really include me at the cross, not just hypothetically, but in reality. I can ask Christ to come into my life in the future of his death, and when he comes into my heart, I am actually spiritually placed into his death in the past and then raised to new life here and now. In reality. Not just a picture of something. It is the truth of what has happened to us. That when we get the reality that death doesn't mean anything anymore. Why? Because I've already really died. I don't have to be afraid of what comes next. Because I am in two places at one time. I am at the right hand of the Father. I'm already in heaven. I'm not going to heaven. I already am in heaven. And science says that is physically possible, even though they make them scratch their head. <laughs> one of the places we see this truth is in Romans 6, starting with verse 1. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Christians who are struggling with their flesh do not believe that they have been taken from the future and put into the death, that we have literally died, that it is a greater reality than what my body is trying to tell me. If I get the reality that I have died to sin, sin is not my master, sin doesn't get to tell me what to do, I am Lord over this body through the Lord Jesus Christ. That it's a physical reality, it's already happened. They know if they can get somebody to believe this, they can walk out of addiction. Because they say, died to that, died to that, and I know it, I know it. It is about believing that what has happened to us has actually happened to us, that we can say, look, done, free, changed, forever. Verse three, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. I love that statement. We were talking about glory this morning. By the glory of the Father, we have been raised to new life. By the manifest presence of Jesus, we have been raised to new life. We, too, might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self 
was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin in reality, not as a concept, not as a fuzzy kind of this is supposed to work. (laughs) But when we see it in its reality, boy, does that change your heart. Because we can't see the spiritual, physical reality of what has happened to us, it is sometimes hard for us to wrap our heads around the truths we find in Scripture. We are included in his death in a real way, and we all know it. The Holy Spirit bears witness that we have a new inside. We have a new heart. Something actually happened to us. (laughs) We are included in everything that has happened to Jesus in a real and spiritual way. Not only in his death, but also in his ascension. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, I love the past tense, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. And as you can see, God still likes past tense verbs. (laughs) He loved us. He made us. He raised us. He seated us. He saved us. It's already done. God knows it's easier for our hearts to believe in what has been already done for us than it is for us to believe that something is going to happen. When I think about the truth that my spirit man actually has physical substance, we don't really think about that because the spirit is invisible to our naked eye, but our spirit and God's spirit has substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Spiritual things have substance. When I think that my spiritual man actually has physical substance that is either simply too small for scientists to see or is simply present in a different dimension. Do you know that scientists know mathematically there are 26 more dimensions than we see that are real right now? They've proven it through experiments that these dimensions actually exist. We can't see them but God can. (laughs) God can. And what if we learn to walk the way Jesus walked? Jesus walked through walls. Jesus walked through crowds. Jesus did some pretty awesome things. (laughs) What he did is he demonstrated the reality that scientists are now discovering, that there is a spiritual dimension that's different from this one. 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 and 17 say this. And we have known, past tense, and believed, past tense, the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect or complete, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. (laughs) The word known here refers specifically to the intellect. And this is what I've been trying to get across, that there is a difference between knowing the truth in our head and knowing the truth in our heart. (laughs) Because it says, we have known. 
But we went past just knowing <laughs> into believing in the love that God has towards us. Knowing the truth in our head is not enough. We need to grow in the truth that we know to the point that we experience the truth in our heart. Remember, our heart loves and believes what we experience. So when we sit in a church service and the presence of God is so real, you can almost just grab a handful. <laughs> our heart says, that's real. The Holy Spirit in our heart says, this is real. This exists. This is now. It's not just head knowledge that brings change. It's knowledge that brings us to, into experiencing God's love. It's the difference between knowing something in our head and believing something is real and done right now in our heart. The scientists who study brain function and the power of belief have discovered the quickest way to get their subjects to experience what they believe is to have them meditate on believing that what they want to experience is, in fact, already done. To the point that they feel grateful. Now, the people they are studying and are doing these experiments on are not necessarily Christians. But they have simply discovered how our minds and hearts function together, and they're using that knowledge to help people change their lives. Again, science is catching up with God, <laughs> because God's grace says you need to believe that it's already done. You need to believe that the answer to your prayer is yes and amen. And when you believe that, when our hearts begin to believe that that is the truth, then our faith will say, now. It's not just done somewhere in the past. It's real now. And then our hearts will begin to say, thank you. When we say thank you, our brains take whatever we have asked God to do in the future. Lord, please do this. <laughs> please, God, go there. <laughs> When we say thank you, our brain takes what we've asked God to do and says, done now. Because thank you says, I know it's real, I know it's done, and I'm thankful. What they have proven is if we can live in an attitude of gratitude, if we believe all the promises really are yes and amen, that our faith rises. Our faith rises in the reality of the knowledge that everything we've asked for is already available. It is really granted. All we have to do is believe, done, now. Thank you. One of these scientists that have been studying the power of the mind and brain and all of that, he has gone all over the world, all different kinds of faith, to see how prayer works. Because he knows that the universe <laughs> is somehow involved in people's prayer lives. And what he found is that the intercessors, in particular, those who took prayer very seriously, he found that they could get people healed faster, better, more completely, because they believed it was already done. <laughs> to the point that their heart was full of gratitude and compassion. They showed on this video these three ministers, they were not Christians, ministering to the woman who had bladder cancer. And they showed a picture, an ultrasound of the woman's bladder, and it had like a big tumor in her bladder. And the three ministers laid hands on her, 
and began to say one word over and over and over. The scientist said, what is it that you're doing? What is it that you're doing that you're going to be able to heal this lady? And he told them, we believe it's already done. And we let our hearts believe that to its fullest extent. It's already done. It's already done. It's already done. And they showed on this video that in three minutes, that cancer completely disappeared because they believed it was already done to the point that they had gratitude in their heart. I was wondering if I should tell that story because these aren't Christians. <laughs> but guess what? It's already done for them too. God's not withholding healing. God's not withholding provision. God's not withholding anything. God has poured out his spirit on all flesh. All flesh. Now that will mess with your theology. That's what he says. All flesh. Why? Because you can't come to Jesus without the Holy Spirit. He has poured his spirit out on all flesh so that he can minister to them. Jesus will get unbelievers healed so that they can come to him and say, it's already done. It's really real. He exists. And their hearts, too, will be overflowing with gratitude for the real one, true and living God, who not only heals the physical body, but he saves our eternal soul. Jesus has said it is done. It's already done. Grace, absolutely free, loving kindness is done. So we can say, now, and praise him all the day long. Amen. Father God, we thank you for the truth in Scripture that you love present and past tense, that you want us to think in present and past tense. Even when we think of this future, you say you have to look into the future knowing it's already done. All of the promises are yes and amen. Now, not going to be, now. You said to pray and believe we receive now so that we can see it. Father God, you are very specific. <laughs> you want us to believe that what you said is true, that we need to think like you. We need to think that everything is done, and now I can access it by the power of the Holy Spirit. I can praise you for what I don't see. I can praise you for what I don't feel. I can praise you because I did, all those things are not the indication of truth. Those are just circumstances. You and your word are the indication of what is true about us and what you've done for us. Father God, renew our minds. Help us to remember to think in past and present tense. That we can look at grace and say, yes, it is done. Now it's mine. And I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.